Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome back to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, this episode will be is coming out Wednesday of this week. Well, so as hopefully you all are listening to it, we are literally days away from Magic Con Minneapolis. So we will be there this weekend. If people don't know by now and you're just hearing the cast, we will be there. We're going to be doing a panel on mental health recovery and uh, basically how I sparked uh, stories about Planeswalker journeys, which is something we've covered on the cast before and actually is going to tie a little bit into our topic for today. So uh, if people don't know, we will be there. We will be on stage. Um, I, if, if you're finding the cast through having heard our panel, welcome. If you're just checking out our most recent episode, uh, this will also be our first episode for May, which is Mental Health Recovery Month or Mo Mental Health Awareness Month. I, I like to talk a lot more about recovery. So very high likelihood that a lot of the episodes this month will be mental health focused. That is usually what our goal is. There is a big mental health charity event coming at the end of the month. So when we have details about it, I will will let people know. Uh, we are not as directly involved with it this year as we have been in the past, just due to um, scheduling and timing with the, the con and everything. But I personally will still be playing in some pods, at least one pod doing a uh, uh, another the third year of a four-player Quark Sakashima game. So we usually have a two-hour block, and I think we've gotten in somewhere between six to eight games during two hours. So <laughs> I, I appreciate the snicker there, Alex. <laughs> so it, yeah, it, it's funny. It is. Yeah, it, it's what you would expect. It. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's what I would expect from you, at least. Yeah, thank, thank That's you. That's great. So yeah, so before we jump into kind of the episode for today, we want to give a shout out to the Grinding Coffee Company, because as soon as we leave May, we'll be entering June. And June, as we know, is Pride. And we they are an LGBT minority-owned uh, and ran coffee company that supports gamers. And they usually will have stuff for us to give away. We are also coming up on our fifth anniversary. So if people are aware, June will be the fifth anniversary. So we are busy planning. And by that, I mean, we've talked about the idea and the busy concept. panicking is, is kind of what you mean first, right? <laughs> then the planning comes after we kind of get that out of the way. I think we're still in phase one. I think, yeah, I think, it's like, I think phase three is what you're discussing. Phase two is where we have no idea what's going on. Imposter syndrome? I am always in phase two. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, as part of Magic Con 30, Magic has, for the Magic Con 30s and for the Magic Cons that they've been doing, they have partnered with charities. And for this one in Minneapolis, the charity is the Trevor Project. And we had the opportunity to be able to connect with the Trevor Project. And that's who we're going to be talking with today. So we're going to pass it over in a second to uh, somebody from the Trevor Project who was nice enough to join us. But first, we'll get our introductions out of the way. I am Hobbs Q. I can be found on Twitter at Hobbs Q. And my pronouns are he, him. Taya. Hi, I'm Taya. Taya Transcends on Twitter. My pronouns are she, her, or they, them. I'm Alex. I'm found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. And my pronouns are he, him. So I had the opportunity to talk with uh, some people from the Trevor Project because th they wanted to see how they could be involved with the Magic Con. And one of the things that came about was one of their communications people, who, Nicholas, who is going to be speaking in just a second, is actually a lifelong Magic player. And it made a lot of sense. And I think this is a kind of perfect marriage to have Nicholas come on and talk about the Trevor Project here on this cast because I think it is a good way to build off of this audience that we we have already with that connection to magic so welcome nicholas awesome uh thanks so much i'm really happy to be here uh so for those of you listening my name is nicholas turton uh my pronouns are he him and i'm part of the team over at the trevor project uh, and so for those of you who don't know the trevor project is uh, the leading suicide prevention organization for lgbtq young people where we are known for providing 24-7 crisis services for LGBT young people, but we also operate a whole bunch of programs around education, research, advocacy, and peer support to support our LGBTQ communities. Uh, really excited to be here and be part of the conversation, so thanks. Yeah, so uh, we, we did prep you for knowing that we were going to be asking you a burning inquiry, a question to get to know you a little bit better, and we will all answer it too. So 
I realized as soon as I wrote this that I then forgot. So who <laughs> is a character from Magic that you identify with? And I'll start off with asking Taya. Well, you, you've asked me because you know I already have an answer for this one, don't you? Yes. <laughs> yeah, it's Chandra, obviously. You know, it, it, my, my poor little fire girl who just everything always seems to go wrong for her and she just wants to burn it all down but loves and cares about her friends deeply and that, that's about as me as I could get. You know, I, I just want to, I want to, everything needs to burn. That's the only way to fix things, but, uh, you know, it's, uh, but I want to take care of all my friends too and mostly by burning the things that are causing them problems. And learning to take deep breaths because she's gotten better yes. at that. Yeah. You know, it, taking breaths is important because you need to focus your fire. <laughs> okay, well, Alex, how about you? <laughs> so, yeah, I, I get, I'll go with Gideon today. He's a character I've, I've kind of talked about in the past when we've had questions similar to this coming up. And then thinking about it today, I've actually got kind of a different angle on it than I've, I've talked about in the past. So we'll see if... We'll see if I can make words coherently around the thought that is less coherent in my head right now. But I kind of, I'm thinking about the the War of the Spark storyline, you know, where, and and sort of the storylines leading up to it, where Gideon had faith and trust in Liliana, despite the fact that everybody told him that that was a bad idea and that she had betrayed them. And there's, I have some... I don't know, naiveness or I can trust too much. And sometimes I get made fun of like for that, but I just, I want to be able to trust people. And I, especially I want to trust my friends. And I kind of, I feel that in that storyline with Gideon, there was that moment where he got, he, that trust was vindicated for him. He trusted her. He, at the end of the storyline, gave his life to her to save her. And that was a choice that we can talk about. There's lots of things. And, and honestly, that storyline, I still feel, some issues with, but that moment of tr he, I mean, he trusted her that whole thing. It was uh, previous sets before that too. He still had that. He expressed that. And then in that moment, that trust was vindicated. So I really appreciate that. If not much else about that particular set storyline. So I, I did think of one. So haha, good. Thank you both for being amazing. Uh, mine is actually Angrath. So I have talked about Angrath on this show before. So Angrath is our, our Minotaur um, planeswalker, who we don't know a ton about yet. But what we know is he got taken away from his family and kind of just like pulled away and trapped. And the other thing we know about him is that he is angry. And the, the reasons I identify with him, and Alex and I covered him under an episode talking about anger and kind of how he's actually learned to manage it. And then I talked about him is that identification with the father and trying to get home to his daughters, but really just that idea that he was this father that like, that is a, an identifying feature of him that I would love to see just for, further explored. But I, you know, I'm somebody that as a much younger man had a lot of anger issues and I have found that trying to learn how to manage those when I get taxed in resources, when my sleep is off, when my mental health is down, which can happen when having children, has been something that I really do kind of take this like ex this identification with what I need to pull myself back to is what he has learned to do, what I have learned to do over the years to manage my own just like frustrations and my frustration tolerance and be able to even recognize the underlying emotions that are there besides just anger. So Nicholas, I, I know that when you and I talked initially, we you kind of were saying, you know, like the lore is a little bit less of what you kind of know from the game. So I just want, you know, I, I put this in here thinking that there may be, from, from playing even, just characters mm -hmm. that you may identify with. So, Yeah, no, this is a really great question. So thanks everyone for going first, because I needed a minute to really think. <laughs> but I'm actually, I really like this question, because it made me think about reflecting on the years I've been playing. EDH is like one of our favorite formats to play when I play with my circle of friends who are all still playing Magic the Gathering. So I'm actually going to go with my longest standing um, commander, Intet the Dreamer. She's probably my favorite Elder Dragon. And I think my affinity for her comes from, she's kind of like, just sort of a, uh, how do I say it? I feel like she gives off this idea of like being sort of optimistic and 
forward leaning. And I think growing up as just in my entire life, I've always identified as someone who's kind of like really much like lived in their heads and was always kind of more of a quote unquote dreamer. And <laughs> I I really, I love the way that just like her play style also, because she encompasses red and blue, which is like my favorite color combination. I always loved playing Pyromancer's Ascension combo deck. So hate me if that's like not your style, but uh, I just, uh, and you know, it's magic. So you can kind of like imagine and I, I idealize better worlds. And so that's really why I love Inside the Dreamers. Just that might have always had a strong affinity for her and um, as both a card, but also kind of thinking of her as this like idealistic, optimistic dragon overseeing <laughs> magic i will say that the the elder dragons from the like time spiral are something that i wish we had gotten a lot more story behind so uh i think that you're saying kind of that that idealist element that comes through and that dreaming element i really would love that we had gotten a little bit more kind of story around them so it's kind of a pretty perfect one to choose yeah, I was looking up online and I couldn't really find much about her backstory or her storyline at all. So hopefully that's something they build out on the narrative level because I would love to learn more about that. Alex, I know t- that was like your block, right? I mean, I I really enjoyed and that one I, I played a lot, unlike now where I'm more storied. I haven't played much recently, but I, I love that. And to be honest, some of it is more, some of it was from story, but more of it was from sort of the mill aspects of building the set and building the story, if that makes sense. The, I loved the time spiral, all of the little references and the sort of glimpses at the future and the way they played around with a bunch of stuff, which I get is part of why that block wasn't great for new players and the game in general, but I, I loved it. Well, and for difficulty for story, right? I mean, that was kind of because yes. she's part of the planar chaos. Is that right? Because that's how we got like other dragons that would have been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. They got the, there were the three dragons in that, or the five dragons in that set, but they weren't really in this, the novels from what yeah. I recall of the story. Unfortunately, that was again cool from sort of a game design perspective of let's take, you know, three color dragons like they did with the elders and shift them into, you know, from shards to wedges. But, uh, you know, they didn't show up in the story, really, because especially at that time, the story and the and the game were made at such different times. Yeah. Like nowadays, they make put a lot more effort into making sure that people, characters who are showing up in the cards get into the story a lot, into the actual printed story. But or we at least get a blurb about them. Yeah, that's that's true. Or Or we at least get some of those little articles where they go through. You know, here's a paragraph or so about several characters versus getting, you know, nothing, nothing on squeak, <laughs> nothing at all. Yeah. So, Nicholas, what is your role at kind of the Trevor Project now that we've learned a little bit kind of about you? Yeah. So, I'm specifically part of our communications team, and our role is within the organization is really dedicated to helping amplify and raise awareness about the important work that we're doing to support uh, LGBTQ young people. So uh, a big focus of the work that I do specifically is also kind of overseeing and helping helping really amplify some of the work that we're doing in the realms of legislative advocacy and a lot of our public health research. So um, really getting that type of um, helping helping others see that all the work that we're doing on the ground to advocate for young people you know, whether that's uh, pushing forward protective and proactive legislation that supports LGBTQ young people or combating anti-LGBTQ and really specifically in this moment, a lot of anti-trans legislation. And then at the same time, uh, we do a lot of original research to help understand the current mental health uh, landscape of LGBTQ young people and getting that out into the world so people can understand what it is like the landscape looks like right now. Uh, for our young people and how we can better support them. And you, as you were kind of saying, you know, like the main thing that I kind of associate Trevor Project with is uh, is, a, is a prevention line and kind of that's where I think, mm-hmm. and I think that's just because we, you know, we've pulled that, we, we have it in our show notes. It's something that I think of when I've seen the website and I, I didn't realize until I met with you all just how much other research and advocacy is being done. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as an organization, we actually just celebrated our 25 year anniversary. So we've been around for over two and a half decades. And uh, we were born out of this idea of making sure that there was a crisis line for LGBTQ young folks who needed um, needed crisis support that was tailored to them and had trained counselors who understood their identities and can support them through those some of their darkest moments, you know, and in those moments of crisis. And so that's the bulk of the work that we've done for the past 25 years. Um, but over, you know, as we've grown and as we've expanded, we're also thinking about not only how do we help people at the moment of time where they need help and support, but also how do we actively work to create a better world for everyone and really doing a lot of systems level change to in the realms of like legislation and then also making sure that we can understand mental health crises and mental health outcomes at a broader level through research. And I know for us, you know, our, our panel is going to be on this concept of planeswalkers sparking really to kind of start this, this, this discussion of, well, people's journeys with mental health, uh, which includes magic a lot of times, <laughs> but just what that journey can look like, what that moment became when somebody may have sparked or what a spark actually is, this concept of something that is is an intense emotional or intense physical. It is something where it can either be a trauma, it can be out of happiness, magic being kind of magic, it's it's historically leaned heavier on that trauma side of things, which I think is a framework that we're often talking about when we're discussing mental health in particular. And I'm curious for you, you, you mentioned that you do kind of have a personal journey with, with magic. And I was wondering if you wanted to talk a little bit about that. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'd love to. So as you mentioned, I'm a lifelong magic player and I actually discovered magic <laughs> during days, summer camp that I used to go to when I was like nine or 10 years old. So I grew up right in the suburbs, right outside of Buffalo, New York. And um, at that time, um, flashback thinking, wow, um, it's been a while uh, back in that sort of like growing in my childhood, I was really pretty reserved. I was quite the wallflower. And I knew from a very young age that actually that I was queer slash gay. And so I was very closeted. And I think that um, contributed to my sort of um, mannerisms being really shy and not really um, outgoing at all. So I was at the summer day camp, which really focused a lot on <laughs> a lot of uh, activities centered around things like sports. And that was never my my vibe back then. So me and my one friend that I did have at day camp were always like, <laughs> just to paint a better picture, <laughs> we were on the outskirts of like the athletic field, pretending to like play Pokemon and and just <laughs> we were kind of like outcasts and so i remember one time there was a staff member at the at the camp who brought a whole bunch of trading cards that day uh, one day and i remember seeing and uh getting actually to buy some magic cards and i thought it was such a really cool the cards themselves were really cool and from then i was actually able to meet other folks uh within my own community I grew up next door to my best, who and uh, the person who ended up becoming my best friend, and sort of like that group of friends. We, <laughs> he actually, his older sister came over one day, and she's like, "Oh my gosh, you have to see this new game that I learned. It's called Magic: The Gathering." And I was like, "Wait, I have those cards." And so, <laughs> <laughs> it was a really cool, like, just random moment of like people that I was meeting in my life and getting close with at that time. In that circle of friends, we all found our own way to magic. And then that group of friends really became my center of friends. And honestly, to this day, I think a lot of them are lifelong friends. Even though I live now on the West Coast, I live across the country, every time I go back, I reconnect with that circle of friends through magic. And we always play when I go visit. But I think one of the biggest things for me, if I reflect on that time and era of my life was... Magic became a way for me to escape and really just bond with my little close-knit group of friends. We always play every Friday in my friend's garage or another friend's basement, and we just play Magic all night. We called it family night because we had, it was like our own little community. I thought it was really nice, and reflecting on it, it was like, that was a really safe space for me. 
I felt like I belonged somewhere. And flashing forward a couple of years, um, when I decided to come out, it was actually that group of friends who I had gotten really close through by playing Magic so much. They're actually the first people that I ever came out to in my life. And they were so supportive. And I can't like thank them enough for like how amazing and accepting that ex- they were throughout that whole experience. Cause it was a really hard time navigating that in a really small suburb where <laughs> it was pretty conservative. And so, yeah, that was, that was um, a really sort of beautiful experience for me. And I think I credit a lot of that magic as like this shared experience amongst all of us as being something that really drew us together, creating that, those really great shared experiences and, for having a group of friends that I could really feel like I belong to. And yeah, I think, yeah. Um, the radical I hear that, acceptance that I, I have even is, just, yeah, sorry. Yeah, that I, well, I, was saying, I even hear that idea of, you mentioned that calling it family night. I think of that found family concept that mm-hmm. for a lot of the people in the LGBTQ community it is oftentimes what they have is found family. And it's, it's what they may have to, to rely on. And and it's interesting, even as you were saying, even as a child, like this is what, or a, not a child, but a, you know, it's a younger person, like that's what your group had. That's what you called it. That's what you became. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I love that story of, of magic bonding. And like, we want to, this episode, we're talking about your, you know, your kind of your journey in the Trevor Project. But for myself, magic was where I learned how to talk to people after years of social anxiety cutting myself off. And so I love hearing people's stories about how magic gave them a community, gave them a home in different ways. Like it's, it's different for all these people we talk to, but there's still that similarity of this gave us a place to be ourselves. This gave us a place to build a community. Yeah. And it's largely trans people I met through the magic community that, you know, ended up helping me come out as well. So it's been a big part of my life. Recently, you were even talking about, I think, you know, like that loss of what Twitter would mean, right? Yeah. You know, you mentioned that on a recent episode, just of how how important that community has been to me on uh, especially, you know, Magic Twitter, Queer Magic Twitter, and <clears throat> how much of a support network it was when I was working through coming out. So, Nicholas, from from there, you know, from your, your childhood and kind of moving, what what ended up drawing you to the Trevor Project to come work for them? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I've i kind of always worked in sort of the realm of just nonprofits generally. And I've always known about the Trevor Project and um, as an organization that I've always admired within the community. And much to like everyone, I feel like a lot of people um, as, as an organization, I always just assumed it was just crisis intervention and that there wasn't anything else. Um, and then when I came to learn all of the I got to know some people who worked at the Trevor Project and came to realize how comprehensive the different programs and services were. They, um, I found out that they were actually expanding their communications team to really help amplify the mission and the message of the work that they're doing. And uh, one thing led to another, and I was like, wow, I'm actually here working. Um, and so I, it's been a really great experience uh, working at the Trevor Project and being sort of part of this mission and helping amplify this work, you know, obviously being part of the community myself and thinking about um, how to support the next generation of LGBTQ folks, especially in a lot of what we're dealing with right now with the um, modern times, uh, uh, a lot of everything I'm sure, you know, we, everyone has probably seen a lot of what we're seeing in the political climate. So I think it's never been more important to be supportive and be, um, be actively working to uh, fight for LGBTQ communities. I know that, you know, something that this show, (laughs) I obviously believes in, you know, but just every day kind of having to turn on the news to see, you know, a different avenue to try to use attack to attack a community that just wants to live, you know, attacking people for basically just wanting to be is one of the hardest things for me is a, I think of it as a clinician. I, I I struggle when I have when I with the people that I do work with. I work with vets, and you know there still is people is that recognition that there's that people don't think about the fact that there are LGBTQ vets, and that you know then like the the looks that I can get from veterans when I ask 
questions about pronouns or if I ask these things that, you know, that the, I think a lot of the clinicians there really want to be espousing, we, you know, there's, there's pushback. There's, there's weird looks from people just for us asking these things because of the environment we're in. I mean, I think it, it just could be disheartening for me at times. And I do think yeah. that one of the things that's important about Mental Health Awareness Month is to kind of be having these conversations. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. And, you know, it's a really important time to have these conversations. And there's a lot of issues around mental health that are stigmatized generally. And then if we add other layers of different marginalized communities, whether that be mental health within LGBTQ communities um, or folks who are veterans and like all of those different layers, it can be really hard to have these conversations, but it is so important. So, I mean, just generally, I'm really happy to be here because I think it's it's really great on everyone here that we're even just having this conversation and sparking that that dialogue. Well, I mean, when, in the, the front-facing part of the Trevor Project, we're going to talk some about the, the research and the advocacy. And you've been talking, I think, about the legislative piece that's important. The, the, the line itself is so well-known because – you know, the, the 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 main crisis line was, was known for not being great for all populations. And that is a moment when somebody needs to be able to connect at a very dark time or there. I mean, it, I mean, it, literally, it's the idea of a crisis and they need to feel that wherever they call is going to be supportive or they're not going to reach out or even take that first step. Yeah. Absolutely. Just, I think what's been really great to see, though, um, over the years is I, we actually have been working really closely and advocating for the past several years, working closely with the new National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which awesome. many folks probably know is 988. And so actually, <laughs> because of the advocacy and the work that we're doing, um, when folks call or text, um, now they have different modalities um, for digital outreach as well is when folks call, text, or chat 988 to be connected with a trained counselor, they actually have um, specialized services for uh, folks in crisis to be connected with trained counselors who are um, trained to and uh, culturally competent to work with folks of different identities and experiences. So um, we currently partner with 988 to provide services to LGBTQ young people. Um, but there are also specialized services through 988 for, I believe, folks also who identify, who are veterans as well. Yeah, um, you, yeah. you can press one right away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you don't even have to go through a menu. So, yeah. I'm glad to hear that. I did not know that there, there was these new... Uh, that the, the only one I know about really is the pressing one. So I did not know there was these other elements that they'd been working on improving. Yeah, I think it's a really huge, it's a really huge step forward. One, simplifying the one eight seven, or I, I remember the old number at this point. Um, Talk, but which it. which is funny <laughs> yeah. because then you also have to be the type of person who remembers <laughs> those numbers. On I mean, yeah, like we moved away from the concept of numbers to text. Mm -hmm. So yeah, yeah it wasn't concept. very helpful. Yeah, it's this new you know concept of you know if we just having a, an emergency, we always had 911, but having a mental health crisis is another type of an emergency. So having a simplified way to access those services through 988, um, it's helping, I think, reshift and shift the conversation around what mental health care, both in crisis, but also um, just generally for wraparound services and general support, what that looks like here in, in our country. So a, a part of this, when you, we were having that conversation and we, when we first met, you know, you and I, you, you told me about the fact that there is a newsletter that you have every year that comes out at the beginning of May. So just a couple of days before this episode has come out, uh, the newsletter is out now and it is basically survey results from the year. And I was hoping that you might be able to tell us a little bit about what that kind of national survey looks like and then what some new findings are that are out that we might be able to talk about or for people to be aware of. Yeah, absolutely. So on May 1st, we actually just will be publishing or will have published our 2023 U.S. National Survey. And so in its fifth year, um, it's our biggest research product that we publish each year. And it's meant to represent sort of a snapshot in time of sort of like the mental health landscape of LGBTQ young folks all across the U.S. And so 
The one that we've launched this year encompasses the experiences of over 28,000 LGBT young people who are ages 13 to 24 who are living across the U.S. And so what we found just generally as a top line is that a lot of the mental health disparities that we found uh, continue, obviously, over the past couple of years, and just generally um, reemphasize that LGBT young people have um, mental health disparities that we are continuing to face. So we view it here at the Trevor Project as a public health crisis when we're thinking about the mental health of our LGBT young people. And so this 2023 survey found that 41% of LGBTQ young people seriously considered attempting suicide in the past year, including half of trans and non-binary young people. And, you know, we see also heightened symptoms of things like anxiety with near over two and three LGBT young people um, reporting symptoms of anxiety and over half reporting symptoms of depression. And, you know, when we're thinking about mental health, we also want to think about healthcare access to, you know, address these concerns. And one of the things that I think is we find most concerning is over half or 56% of the young people we've surveyed who wanted access to mental health care in the past year were not able to get it. You know, we have a variety of other findings that really help spell it out and really um, demonstrate some of the mental health impacts that we're seeing in the current environment and climate of anti-LGBTQ policies and legislation um, and other um, compounding factors around anti-LGBTQ victimization, which um, show that when young people are physically threatened or harmed or discriminated against or subjected to conversion therapy, which are all, as we in our research encompass a larger umbrella of experiences of anti-LGBTQ victimization, report more than twice the rate of attempting suicide in the past year compared to those who don't have these types of experiences. But, you know, across the board, I do want to make sure that we also highlight some of the positive things. So it really, our survey really um, drives home the importance of having access to different affirming, to LGBTQ affirming homes and spaces. So young people who have access to affirming homes and schools report much lower rates of attempting suicide in the past year. And I think that really goes to show that, you know, obviously we're facing a lot of challenges when trying to support the mental health of our young people in the current current environment. But, you know, there are things that we can be doing at an individual um, community and national level to really help make sure that we increase those protective factors, such as affirming homes and schools and things like that. So when you're kind of talking through some of these with, you know, the the large rate of LGBTQ young people who have the anxiety, depression, is this something that, you know, from the, that's basically been remaining pretty stable uh, over the last couple of years? I mean, with your data, are you guys looking at this versus previous years or is this just kind of a snapshot of the year? That's a really great question. So we view, because of the way that our survey design is designed each year, it's cross-sectional and it's meant to be point in time. So it really does provide just a snapshot, a snapshot, excuse me, uh, at a current time. So we don't really analyze um, the trends per se over the years, but we do see that they kind of remain more or less pretty steadily. And I guess the main thing for us to, that we'd like to point out is, Basically, when we're looking at national level data of mental health outcomes of young people generally, LGBTQ young people um, consistently show uh, disparities when it comes to things like anxiety, depression, and suicide risk. But I think something that's so important to note in Hobbs, um, I'm sure you probably um, identify with this um, being a clinician, is we really like to emphasize to folks that when we're talking about the mental health of LGBT young folks, people, these young people aren't inherently prone to suicide risk because of their identities. It's more because of the way that they're mistreated, that they're stigmatized, discriminated against, and have all of those environmental factors within society. And so when we think about the work we do at the Trevor Project, it's how can we make sure that we mitigate those harmful and uh, risk factors as much as possible while increasing 
the more protective and positive factors within their lives. So what do you all do with the data now? I know that, you know, you talked about like the research side of things. Do you, do you have like research projects that are going on that you're looking at, or is it mainly the survey data? Uh, I was just kind of, you know, what, does this help drive kind of what the, the, the mission is of the Trevor project for the coming year? Yeah, honestly, there's, there's so much that we do with the research. So first of all, we help, you know, really disseminate these findings as far and wide as possible. So <laughs> here we are having this conversation. So I'm, uh, I'm, it's really great to be able to help share these findings um, with new audiences through the podcast, for example. So, you know, we, we do our best to make sure that these findings are in the hands of folks to help generate awareness about the current issue and this crisis that we're facing, but also making sure that it's in the hands of the folks who have power and influence to really make um, really important changes. You know, community leaders, state legislators, at all, well, legislators rather at all level, at local, state, and federal. So, you know, one of the big pieces is public education and awareness. So that's definitely one pillar. I'd say another pillar is also we like, our research team does a really amazing job of taking these findings because we have we have tons of data from the 28,000 LGBT young people on their experiences and what they report um, in their lived experiences um, from this report. And each month, uh, one of the things that our research team does is publish these findings in new ways and analyzing it across different um, across dem- different either demographics or taking a look at some of this uh, data on a deeper level. And then we publish what our, we call our monthly research briefs. So obviously what, we're pub- what we've just published on May 1st is kind of like an overview and a snapshot and really shows all of the key top findings. But now we're going to take that research and, um, and rework it in different ways to help un- better understand um, different experiences. So the best way that I can sh- uh, <laughs> describe this is maybe by giving an example is like last year with our 22, 2022 survey data, we actually, our research team was able to take the data and analyze it by different race and ethnicity groups within uh, the um, AAPI um, umbrella. And so that was really great because that type of segmentation of research with folks who have different identities within the larger AAPI community, that doesn't really exist, particularly folks for who also identify as AAPI and LGBTQ. So that is an example of how we will take the research and refine it further and really help make sure that um, we're being able to disseminate findings that are useful for different communities and different folks with intersecting identities. So one thing I was wondering about, you know, you talked about these different partnerships that you all have done and these ways to look to get some messages out there and to kind of do, I know that it sounds like you, you all were kind of involved with the, the, the pride secret lair last year with that. And then you're getting involved with mm-hmm. magic for the magic con. And I, and I'm kind of curious if you can speak or if know anything about like what led to some of that partnership or why magic, the gathering. I mean, you've talked about your own personal journey mm-hmm. and I, I definitely see a value in this partnership, but I'm just curious if what the company's kind of approach was or thoughts. You know, I actually don't know how that came to be, but when I found out, I was so happy and ecstatic. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> the the pride, the secret lair pride drop, I thought was so really wonderful. I thought it was one of my, for me, it was one of my favorite things that I've seen across our different partnerships. Yeah. But you know, it's, it's, a, it's <laughs> it was really yeah. good. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I, I bought I, so many copies of that secret layer and <laughs> gave away a bunch of them and have the cards in so many decks. Yeah, uh, they they got me on that one for sure. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm sitting with Taya. I have a ton of copies still in my basement to just be ready to be given away for this reason. Because to be trying to get them to people that maybe see themselves in cards for, for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, I I don't know exactly how that partnership came to be. I'll be truly honest. But, you know, at the Trevor Project, we we have a lot of different ways that people, uh, partnerships end up happening. And in a lot of ways, it's folks will actually reach out to us or, 
connections will be made. And so my understanding is probably that someone maybe from Magic Wizards of the Coast maybe reached out and was looking to find a way to explore partnership. And, you know, we're always really open to making sure, um, exploring new ways of new, new and innovative partnerships. And I thought that was a really great one that came to be. It was very personal to you, like you're saying. I mean, I was I was mm-hmm. so excited when you joined the call that you know that we had that was just saying, you're know, like, I wanted to be here. Basically, you know, I found out that magic was involved. I wanted to to get involved myself, yeah. right? Like mm-hmm. it's very motivating. Yeah. I can tell when I'm being pandered to. I like being pandered to. <laughs> <laughs> so you're gonna be coming out for the event then? I personally won't be, but I think my team will be. Ah, okay. I okay. know. <laughs> I was curious. I kind of really I wanted curious. to be there, but you I know. know. Hopefully, there'll be another Magic Con soon. <laughs> yeah, but I would love to go to one. Uh, Vegas is the next one in the states. Well, of the of these of these ones, right? It's more yeah, like yeah, Barcelona. So. I think it's Barcelona and Vegas, and that's it for the year. They only did the four this and year. Then they've yeah. had the the Command Fest events <laughs> yep. too. Yeah. Well. Maybe I'll talk to my team to see if they I can find a way to get to Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, that's the way to go. You know, I, yeah, I, did I this, think I need to be there. I think I need to be there. I did this podcast, and now. <laughs> so, you know, seeing this work that you all are doing, like what is kind of take-home messages for that you would want us to be able to share with any listeners out there? I feel like there are a couple of things. You know, I think for anyone who's listening, who identifies as part of the LGBTQ community, I know it's a really difficult time. And I mean, I felt it personally, I know I'm seeing it with a lot of my colleagues even. It's a really difficult time. The LGBTQ community is definitely being targeted. We're being, you know, being targeted in many ways. And so I wanna at least make sure that, you know, as a as an organization that's here to support really making sure that people understand the message that really you deserve to be just loved and accepted for who you are. And I know that there are so many people who are supportive of you and who are fighting for you at this moment. It can be really hard to lean in on the negative things that we're seeing in the news, but something that's bringing me so much hope is that there are a lot of organizations. There's a lot of people advocating. There's a lot of allies that are standing up in this moment who are really doing our best to try and fight for LGBTQ communities and LGBTQ rights. And something that's really bringing me a lot of inspiration and hope is also seeing the young people. There's so many young people across different states. I know just last week, some people on my team were able to go to Florida and document and speak with a lot of the young people who were walking out and protesting in Florida in response to a lot of the anti-trans and anti-LGBTQ bills there. So I think for me, that's like one of the things is a message of hope um, and that there is some optimism. I mean, I did mention Intet the Dreamer as sort of like my affinity card at the start. And I just think having those messages of support and hope is really important. And if you are struggling, make sure that you seek help um, if you can. And so I know, Hobbs, you put a lot of really great resources in the show notes. So I think that's really important to be able to just have those resources ready and available. So that's like my first message. And I think for others who are listening, maybe who identify as allies or just folks within the community, I think there's so many ways in how we can, at different levels, show up for LGBTQ communities and you know, something simple at an individual level, I was thinking is like, you know, if you're going to like FNM and playing magic um, and, you, you know, you're competing with someone as like, you know, even just when you do your intro asking or sharing for pronouns um, at an FNM event at your like local magic shop, that's something simple. And then maybe at the, at the community level, if you are a magic shop owner or someone who's you know, has some influence within the community, finding ways to maybe show LGBTQ friendly images or symbols, whether it's hanging a pride flag within your shop, just to show that there's these messages of allyship and in community. And, you know, for everyone listening, um, we don't have to be experts on LGBTQ identities, but really do your best to show support, 
to try and educate yourself. Um, there are so many great resources, not just the Trevor Project, but a lot of other organizations who share a lot of public education resources. Um, so you can help uh, become a better ally in this moment. I think of those things that you know can be done at the the you know at the micro level, just what you can do within your own communities. Uh, speaking up if you hear players being misgendered so that the person doesn't feel like they have to be the one to step up every single time could get mm-hmm. i know people talk about how exhausting it can be and if you're there and you're able to do it right they like just make sure that you're you're correcting yourself if you make a mistake if you do misgender somebody that you you own it you take that mistake you learn from it you correct it you you're able to be the person that maybe speaks up in at your local game shop there, there are these ways that we can think of that we can get involved because, right, like I think you said from the beginning, your journey started with having a space that felt safe enough for you to be able to even explore or to just to, to learn more about yourself, like right, a place that mm-hmm. was away from having to feel that you were completely just that the, the closeted wallflower or the closeted kid on the sideline playing Pokemon, which I just now am realizing like this far in that you met without cards because <laughs> yeah, later you then said cards. <laughs> Sorry, my brain just <laughs> really was like, I'm like going back through this story in my head and I'm like, wait a second. I think that no, we were was just actually... like pretending to be a Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, we, I was, I was the trainer and my friend would be the Pokemon and we'd pretend to. Yeah. Cool. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So see, this, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. That's seeing in my head. I'm like, yeah, Pokemon cards because we're here talking about magic and right. cards. Yeah. That's a much better yeah. story. That's well, a much what's better funny story. is like, it occurred to me, and all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. He then said somebody brought cards. Wait, wait let's yeah. go back. So okay, but but I mean, you you talked about like that idea that you had an environment, mm-hmm. and that's what we we need still. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think that's why it's. You know, even when we're thinking about states where different types of bills and legislation are being, you know, introduced, et cetera, there's still so much that people can do within their own communities, even in those environments, to really um, show support and just really create and do their best to create some of those affirming spaces. Yeah, I think showing support and speaking out in this moment can really go a long way. Yeah, it's really needed now more than, you know, it has been in a long time. Everybody thinks things, you know, got better or magically great, but they haven't. It's gotten worse. Yeah. So Alex and Kay, you know, I'm thinking for, for, for us and for the show, is, is there any thoughts kind of having, as we're, as we're going forward, as we're even moving into just our, our own panel kind of, <laughs> jumping off just a few days after this is coming out. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I've been thankful to have this opportunity to meet with the actual like Trevor project to hear what they do and thinking how we can yeah. then carry things forward. Yeah. And thank you, Nicholas, for, for bringing that perspective. Like I said, at the beginning, like it's, we love being able to bring people on to, to share their stories and to have to it, talking about your own personal story and the, you know, the story kind of the Trevor project, the work you've been doing and things. And that's, it's a it's a thing for us to work on going forward to be to do more to continue the work we've been doing like you said Hobbs I know a couple of years ago we started doing pronouns in the introductions and that just felt like a small thing that was just an important thing to just start doing so we've been doing that every episode since and it's finding those little ways to keep building that space finding your mandatory trans girl for a magic podcast Mm-hmm. <laughs> mandatory right Other, otherwise what were you we even doing for the first like four years of the show we don't know <laughs> but I mean you know I, I think having another voice on the show has been a good, a good thing yeah. sign that we had sought out as not a you know as, as guests but to actually have that as mm-hmm. part of the planning now is a huge difference mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's been a big 
uh, to peel back that curtain a little bit like we, we do occasionally, but that's been a struggle for us. A struggle is maybe the wrong term, but it's been a conversation we've had consistently, especially over the last couple of years of what can we do to try to bring in people who have different perspectives, not just, you know, in the LGBTQ community, that community as well in particular, but I mean, other communities as well, bringing in folks from other communities whose experiences are different so that we can just have a but everyone can just have a better understanding of people who are different than them. And yet at the same time, we all love this game magic and it's a great place to build a community together. And I don't know if goblins aren't good at anything, they're good at communities. (laughs) That's right. Goblins like snowflakes are only dangerous in numbers and we are dangerous. So it checks out. Well, Nicholas, I really want to thank you. If you could tell people just, you know, anything that you want to kind of close out with, follow up with, just where people can find you, find the Trevor Project, uh, we would just, you know, love to let you kind of take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So the Trevor Project, um, if you want to learn more, you can find us on um, at the Trevor Project dot org or at Trevor Project. Um, T-R-E-V-O-R project on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook for all our social media. Um, you know, there's a lot of great resources, a lot of great information across all of those different channels. So I really encourage you folks uh, listening in to really check that out. Um, but I just want to thank you all, Alex, Hobbs, and Taya, for this really great conversation. I had a great time today. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming. And we're uh, glad we we're able to include you in this and uh, kick off our mental health awareness month uh, with a really important topic. And everybody, we will be seeing you. Uh, anybody that's out there, we would love to have more conversations like this actually in person. All three hosts will be at MagicCon, not only for the panel, but around it other times. So we hope to get to meet people from the show that or for listeners that we haven't met before. And I hope we hope that everybody has a good weekend. And that's our show for today. You can find all of the hosts on Twitter for now. Hobbs can be found at HobbsQ. Taya can be found at Taya Transcends. And Alex can be found at Mel underscore Chronicler. Feel free to send us any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to the Goblin Lore Pod on Twitter or email us at goblinlorepodcast at gmail.com. If you would like to support your friendly neighborhood gobslugs, our link tree can be found on our Twitter account and in the description of today's show. This has everything from various discount codes to the link for our Patreon. The music for today's show was by Vindergotten, who can be found at Vindergotten at bandcamp.com. The art was done by Stephen Raphael, who can be found at Steve Raffel on Twitter. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Hipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you for listening. And remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers.